Hello mech fans and welcome to the Valhalla Club. Grab a fusionaire and join us as we talk Battletech and the latest happenings around the Colorado Battletech community. Alright everybody, thanks for joining us in the Valhalla Club today. I'll be your bartender for this episode. I'm Mike the Viking. Uh, today with us, we've got Dave Cerberus. Hello. We've got Bourbon. Howdy, howdy. And joining us again for another episode is Alex. Howdy, everybody. So for this mid-month episode, since uh, Dave wasn't able to join us uh, for the main episode, I don't think Alex was uh, ha- had availability uh, for our initial recording. Uh, so we're going to get their uh, LVO recap in. Uh, Alex got second place overall and won best painted so we're gonna get uh his uh recap from lvo and then we're gonna talk uh about some hobby burnout afterwards uh so since you guys weren't on the last episode let's start out with the the pile of shame what kind of hobby work have you been uh been able to accomplish Uh, let's start with dave so in the lead up to LVO, I had to paint most of my LVO list. Some of the pictures I had posted up. So obviously there were the two Ares, the Scaffas, the Black Wolf battle armors, and uh, let's see what else was there. I did prime about 15 clan mechs in green. So they're going to get the camo striping treatment probably this weekend. And uh, beyond that, beyond prepping for LVO and getting uh, some Mex Prime, that's about all that I've had time to do. And I definitely haven't done anything since uh, since we got back. And thankfully, everything made it back from LVO in one piece. And I only had to make one repair when we got to LVO. And that was because one of my Ares arms fell off. So I had to fix that in the hotel room. Womp womp. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't think anybody's done much of anything when we got back from LVO. Just uh, hit the reset button. Um, Alex, uh, how's your hobby work been going? Yeah, my hobby work has been just about the same as David's here. Not much for me on the Battletech front, at least. I've got 10 or so unpainted miniatures, kind of a weird mix of IS and Clan from the beginner box that came out with the Vindicator, some of the LVO swag. A random Ironwoods Metal Locust I bought forever ago, and I'm just kind of trying to decide on a new force to build them into, or maybe my existing paint schemes fit them into. Just you know, waiting for inform- in- some inspiration to come along, figure out what to do with it. Been working on some hobby progress for some other systems in the time being, but it'll come. They will get painted. My pile of shame must decrease in size. Well, we can't have a segment called Pile of Shame if there isn't a pile of shame. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Um, has anybody gotten any of those new force packs that have been coming out? My uh, my ES came in yesterday, and I should be getting my uh, Rough Riders and Kelhounds soon uh, from Ares. I'm excited about those. I picked up a Hanson's Rough Riders today, actually, at uh, Gamer's Haven. Oh, very nice. And uh, I have an ELH uh, pack as well. Yeah, I went this morning over to Barnes & Nobles and picked up an ELH pack here in Westminster. So I'm going so to you guys- trade... Three out of four max out of that. If anybody wants it, <laughs> uh, what's your guys' thought on the on that jumper? Uh, you think you're gonna paint it up in the jump stance or without the, the plume? Uh, I think for, I mean, obviously I only have the Hansons, so it's just the uh, 
the hatchet man i will probably paint that up as a jumper because i already have one that's not jumping and i don't see myself using a hatchet man all that often so might as well have fun with it yeah i think i've decided that all the jumping mechs i'm gonna leave them in jump mode uh just because jump plumes look cool and those are huge uh, but when you look at them straight on, uh, they're no taller than an assault. Uh, so like the, the jumping thunderbolt is the exact same height as the Banshee in that same box. Um, I saw the so. picture on, I think it was Battletech customs where someone took the thunderbolt and they flipped it upside down on the jump, pl- on the jump plume. And it yeah. looks awesome. And I'm totally going to do that with it when I get it. It's a, it's a piloting skill eight right there. Um, <laughs> Hey, I think it would be awesome if there was a modified table for piloting roll fails, where like if you have a jump mech and you just accidentally activate your jump jets and you just go randomly off in one direction, and then you have to roll a, another piloting check to land with like a plus four. I think that would be awesome. Look, man, we already spent enough time dealing with falls and everything else on the classic side of thing, and you want to make it twice as difficult? Come on. Just want to make it funny. <laughs> I think you get that in some of the Mech Warrior stuff. Jump off the board on accident. <laughs> yeah, really. All right. Well, uh, that should wrap us up for the pile of shame segment. Uh, so let's just hop into this LVO recap for you two. Um, let's start out with um, overall uh, thoughts and uh, general general experience, and then we'll move into to the rounds. Uh uh dave you want to start us off with the uh, overall comments so as far as lvo is concerned i had a great time uh the rio was not as bad as i kind of expected it to be i did a lot of uh kind of recon by looking at a bunch of reviews of the rio and some video walkthroughs and they painted a very different picture of the hotel than what it actually was it was very pleasant uh when we got there most of the restaurants were open the uh the room was actually pretty great. Uh, I was rooming with Charles and Mike, and obviously we've already talked about or heard about Mike's uh, little paint booth setup that he had in the room. And as far as the venue is concerned, I went and helped do a little bit of setup on, I want to say it was Thursday morning. Yeah, I think it was Thursday morning. So I got, I mean, that main room that the Warhammer players went, were in was massive. I've never seen a gaming hall that big set up that way before. And the amount of stuff that the FLG guys brought in to make this entire event happen was really amazing. So uh, even the, the hall that we were in with, uh, with the setup that we had, it was still large. It was, it was really awesome. The, the event itself, I think, went real, really smoothly. Uh, the Wolfnet guys set up a really good, uh, really good space, and it was unfortunate that after round one we had to move everything, but it went relatively smoothly, and we got reset up between rounds, and it continued on. And overall, uh, I thought LVO was a lot of fun. It was really great meeting everybody. It was really cool to to finally meet uh, the guys from Armor Up and from Wolfnet and to get to hang out with people that we hear and listen to and talk to on discords and to get that interaction uh, personally was really great. So yeah, I had a great time. Hell yeah. Alex, what you got? Yeah. Overall, it was a very positive, fun experience. 
uh, very good. I don't want to go into too much detail. I think that we're going to talk through some of the hobby burnout stuff uh, later. I'll probably bring a little bit more of it up. But uh, um, I guess uh, if I were thinking through the experience, uh, some regrets. I guess I maybe would have wished I would have stayed for a little longer on Saturday after all. Uh, there was some some pretty neat looking events going on on Saturday that I, I jetted out for maybe a little early. I uh, I was there, I guess, just only for Saturday, mostly as a full day, but coming in late on Thursday or midday on Thursday and leaving midday on Saturday didn't give me as much time as I would have liked, I guess, after seeing all the stuff that went down on Saturday, all the cool things. Yeah, but really good, really good experience. Really great. Really great to meet a bunch of people whose voices I've heard for hours on end uh, on the other end of the podcast here. And also some other people, uh, you know, everyone too, not just the podcasters. Great time. Great players. Everyone was nice fun. Hell yeah. All right. So let's move into the uh, the 350 recap portion. Let's go over uh, what list you brought. Um, we'll keep going with the same way we've been doing it so far. Uh, we'll, we'll go Dave, then, then Alex. So Dave, what list did you bring? So I brought a Wolf Star League uh, Ill Clan era list, and I was one of those guys that brought a double Ares list. So I had a Ares Zeus, an Ares Hera, uh, Vulture E was my my flak uh, unit. Uh, I brought an industrial mech. Good old Carl made an appearance with the Lumberjack LM4C. Uh, I had two Scaffa hover tanks, the uh, J models, two Gabriel hover hovercraft, uh, a J27 ordnance transport the gun trailer uh, Arrow 4 variant, two Black Wolf heavy mortar battle armors, uh, two Kukulane support armors, and then two Warrior H-10s. You and that dual Ares list, man. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So, Alex, what did you bring to the tournament? For this tournament, I brought a 12th Ghost Regiment list. Uh, so I began kind of my soul-searching for the list back in the late summer last year. Uh, I was thinking through things like, do I want to bring SLDF or maybe a Succession Wars pirate list? I knew I wanted to feature a lot of stuff from the 1990s, 2000s Mech Warrior franchise and settled on the 12th Ghost Regiment because they have a lot of those 90s and 2000 Mech Warriors lists in the Jihad era available still, and they had a really cool backstory on exactly how they kind of came to lo- stop being a part of the Battletech history. Uh, but as far as actual list contents go and what was in there, I went with pretty much only Inner Sphere Tech, Iron Winds Metals units as much as possible, ended up being entirely Iron Wind Metals in the end, and a mostly Combined Arms Force. So I had a Sunder 1-0 at skill 4 as kind of the bully of the group. Lots of armor, lots of damage, and still movement of 8. A Mauler 1-K at skill 3. Uh, pretty slow at 6 without jump. Movement of 6, but a decent amount of damage and overheat potential. Avatar 1 OF at skill 3. Uh, decent damage potential, but pretty weak. Has jump jets, 8-inch movement, uh, a little bit of flak as well for some of those fast fast scenarios. Take down VTOLs. A Chimera 1S, definitely the runt of the group. Very Not very point-efficient mech at skill 3. 31 points, but only does 3-2-1 for the damage profile, short, medium, long. And no specials at all to speak of. But hey, it had to be included because it was in MechWarrior 4, so it made it in the cut. A Charger 1A1, which I think is a very great bargain buy at 18 PV for skill 4 or 22 PV at skill 3. Uh, amazing role player. I'll probably talk about some more in the games as we go on. 
two Tokugawas. They are some pretty classic House Karita designs. One at skill four, one at skill two, a different variants for each. A Sprint Scout helicopter interdictor. That was my cheap insurance against uh, C3 networks, but only my only ECM unit in the list. So someone with a lot of ECM would have probably cleaned my clock on with that. A Ripper infantry transport. Uh, sort of the purpose of being able to transport one or a few units or also being able to do some damage uh, with 1-1 one, one, short medium profile. A heavy hover APC at skill 7 whose only purpose was to move around a bunch of the heavy infantry, heavy urban response platoon, uh, which I took at skill 4. That's the heavy infantry that's really good with the plasma. Just recently got a points increase. Uh, the void medium battle armor, I brought one stand of that, the standard one. That's a 1-1 one, one damage profile with stealth and 8 jumping profile. Uh, J27 Ordnance Transport at skill 5, and two Field Medics at skill 4. So those three units altogether were three PV. Uh, we could talk a whole lot about one PV units and my thoughts on them <laughs> at a different time, probably later in this podcast. Not something I'm super proud of, but they're on my list. And uh, Motorized Field Artillery Sniper. It's a infantry-type unit that has artillery, so uh, brought at skill 3. Can't take the standstill bonus, so... Best case scenario with a dedicated spotter tag, I'm looking at eights to hit with a field artillery sniper for a chance of two damage. And that sums up my list. Sounds good. All right, let's just go right into uh, the games. Uh, So round one was Domination. Uh, Dave, what'd you have for Domination? So I went against Damien, and I brought my pretty standard uh, single single Ares with the two Scaffas and... think I had my vulture with me. I, unfortunately, I lost my notes that I had taken from the game, so this will all be going off memory, so anybody that I played, if I get this wrong, sorry. <laughs> uh, but the game was relatively quick. I beat Damien on turn three because I pushed him a little a little aggressively, and he... He brought a lot of heavy units because he knew I was going to bring an Ares. And what ended up happening was I took three of the three of the five OATs in round two. And then on round two, he also got a lucky shot off on one of my Scaffas and killed the crew. So that was really unfortunate. It was a tack and then dead crew. So that was a quick 35 points that he got from me and then uh he made a mistake and came off of the oats at the in turn three and i got one of my hovercrafts over onto the fourth oat that i needed and i think let me pull up the stats for the first round i don't think i killed anything in the first round so I killed 26 PV of his. I think I got half points on one of his one of his units. But I just I powered powered through the game and got it on objectives, but didn't get any uh didn't really get any any P, any MOV out of the game. He got 35 out of me, and uh, yeah, I got 26 out of him. So I think we were one of the first couple of games that were finished. Sounds good. Alex, Alex, how was game one for you? Game one for me, I had the pleasure of playing against uh, Max from our local Colorado group here. 
Uh, funny fact, we actually played this domination scenario in Dave's garage, I guess, maybe four months prior uh, with his old, uh, previous Capellan list before he re- revamped it. Uh, so this this one was a pretty pretty fun game. I was playing on the Mars map, and we had a lot of the very tall terrain pieces, which we set up pretty much surrounding the center objective on domination, with a few little ones off to the side, and the classic uh, Annihilator turret in the back. Max had a Annihilator standing on a very tall, skinny piece of terrain, which I don't believe he could legally get down from because it was so tall, more than, more than you know, two levels or, or four inches high two inches high, whatever. It was a pretty high, pretty high little piece it was on. Uh, so this is a game that once it got kicked off, I almost lost twice in the first two or three rounds. Uh, I was able to take my first two objectives in my deployment zone while he took the, the th- other three, and I started losing my left side of that one. Uh, so when I started losing that left side, he started moving ones out to try to take that fourth one and finish the game right then and there. And if it were not for some lucky shooting on my part to knock off the one that would have made that fourth capture, uh, there's two chances there where I would have lost. Eventually, I I did not lose on those two with the fast movers coming in to capture it and was able to push back across the middle and had enough stuff left to capture the put something on the remaining five for a single turn and force a split of fire. A very close game, a lot of back and forth. We had a lot of destruction. A uh, great fun game for for us. Alrighty, sounds like some decent uh, round one games. Uh, game two was Headhunter. Dave, how was that? Well, I I fought Alex in that, and it was a. Uh, a I'm ashamed to say I got a little uh, little butt hurt because Alex was using a very valid tactic against me. I brought my double Aries with my Black Wolves and the uh, Scaffas, and I don't remember if I had the Gabriels or not. But uh, Alex took a very defensive posture and I had to waddle my Ares fat asses across the entire map to get to him. So it took, uh, let's see if the round is 80 minutes, we had 29 minutes left by the time I got to, to the other side of the map. <laughs> Cause it just took that long to get the Ares across there. Cause I didn't sprint at all because if I, I knew if I sprinted, that would give Alex the opportunity to just pop out and just, probably knock off one of my Aries right away. But uh, uh, the game... Well, Alex, why don't you say it from your side, and then we can get into the yeah. combat. So so I'll, I'll chime in here and say what I did wasn't defensive. It was actually downright cowardly and unhonorable, in my opinion. So I here in the Colorado group, you know, we've seen the Aries, you know, a six-pack made its way around of everyone, you know, having some Aries action. So I, I kind of, like, groaned a little bit internally. I'm like, oh, matched up round two against David with a double Aries list. Dang it. You know, that kind of a uh, feeling, right? So I kind of try to think through what I could possibly do to, you know, have a chance here. Because I know that there's gobs of armor. Um, I didn't know if there would be two Aries, each one a commander, or what I'd see exactly. But I was pretty sure that if I tried to engage in an open field or advance, I, I'd have zero chance of basically getting any kind of real points in this. So my other options would be to just, I could be completely non-competitive and, you know, a total, uh, you know, bad apple, negative play experience guy and just completely wait inside of the little nest I made. I, I stacked up two two terrain pieces on top of each other that are nearly the exact same size and basically hid my whole force behind. Uh, and I could have, I thought, I even considered like, you know, do I want to stay here to make some kind of big stinky poo-poo pants, you know, loser mean point about how areas are mean took my lunch money and and push my face in the dirt all the time but 
the other option I thought of was, well, what I could do is wait here for a little bit, wait for David advance and maybe find an opportunity whenever I can win initiative after he's moved something and juke to one side or the other and get at least a couple of his units out of the firing arc. So I get a good first volley out. Um, well, that's what I went with was a third option, you know, kind of a good balance between being able to, you know, not get annihilated in the open field with the, you know, a giant rock of an Aries and the, the, the hard place of all the scaphas that can jump and move around with some pretty hard hitting battle armor right behind me as soon as I come out. So find a balance between that option and the, you know, sit there and be a poo-poo pants and care to come out of my little turtle shell hole option. Anyway, so I I did end up coming out and we had a pretty good battle. Ended up being a, a 4-3 uh, David's win uh, result. Uh, but it did take quite a long time. It was about 45 minutes or maybe a little longer than the game before we actually got into combat. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's something I'm not, I'm not crazy proud about the way that I played this. Um, you know, I... I want to play this, have fun, and sitting around 45 minutes is not really fun. And, you know, that's something that I apologize to and is infuriating and is terrible. And one of the reasons why I'm wondering, like, if, you know, one of the things that maybe questioned about the tournament scene a little bit, like, oh, like, I have to make this decision to want to play for points, want to play for fun. And I made a decision to play kind of maybe a little bit for both uh, here. I, anyway, I'm sorry, David. Uh, this was a... So, this was hey, a, you killed the Aries, so... Yeah, it took uh, two rounds to kill the Ares versus three or four, which I was fearing it would take if I couldn't, you know, put all fire on at once when I wanted to. Well, I think what most... I'm really sorry it took so long to wait there and all the turmoil it caused. Well, I think the Ares definitely is more of a psychological weapon than it is a really effective weapon on the battlefield because... on me. Very psychologically impacts me. (laughs) Well, it's... Because it's so easy to hit, but it's got so much armor and so much structure that it does take a concentrated effort to destroy it. But at the same time, you can only really effectively field them at skill four. So against a TMM three, you're looking at sevens at short range, nines at medium range. So it, 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 it takes, they're not great. Yeah, very, very fair point, but I'm more worried about Scaffas and whatever that battle armor you had that did... Kukulains. I think, yeah. I'm more worried about those guys at short range than I'm about an Ares at medium or long. Honestly, if you hadn't you come out right of... Behind me if I came out of my little tiny hidey hole turtle shell. You... I was... When I brought my Ares around to the... Because I actually think I only had one Ares. Was it one or two? I'm trying to remember. Uh, we played King of the Hill back in your uh, back at your place last summer. No, 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 at LVO. Uh, you, you brought, I thought you brought a list with two, didn't you? I brought a list with two, but in our game. I th- Only, you brought one, and the uh, whatever that Black Wolf battle armor was, was your okay. second commander. Yeah. So I, I got the, the Scaffas and the Ares over to the left side of the hills that you had built, and I was just about ready to run the Scaffas up and over. And because you were back, you had your avatar and your other unit just backed up against the hill. And I was like, well, that's a perfect back shot. I'll just go up the hill, drop the battle armor. And then you would have, God, what would that be? So it's two from the scaffa, two from each scaffa, that's four. And then three from each battle armor, which would be six. So it would have been 10 damage plus another four for the uh, rear shots. Yeah. And if you, if you hadn't come out of the out of the hill when you did, that was that was going to be my next move because the Ares was just about ready to round the corner. 
Yeah, yeah, that would have been a pretty tight scrum um, if you would have come over that hill for sure. That would have been that would have been pretty deadly. Uh, so that that was right when I sprung sprung out of there and was able mm-hmm. to get some of those flanking shots on the Aries and and make it a little bit different of a game there. But yeah, it was a it was a slow crawl to get there for sure. But that that I didn't, I didn't really anticipate that tactic either. That would have if I would have waited one more turn, that would have been pretty uh pretty crazy and I definitely walked away with uh, a lot less objective points. I think. Yeah, because those scaffolds, they are they are hard to kill because they've got that reflective armor, so they take one less damage just off the bat, and then they've got TMM4. Yeah, absolutely. So it's they are rough to kill. I definitely would have lost both the Kukulains in that in that situation because they would have had no way of taking any sort of non-infantry cover or anything like that. But they would have definitely gotten the uh, they would have gotten the job done. Yeah, it was a great game though. It was my only loss of the day and my only loss to only game against someone that finished in the top ten too as well. God, you're lucky. I faced damn near everybody in the top ten. Hmm. I think actually Damien was the only person outside of the top ten that I actually faced. Wow. Now, Dave, I know when we practiced uh a few months back, I think it was in December, uh for Headhunter. For our practice game, you had brought the two Aries. I did. Um, with against your, Ben, with your meat shield. When <laughs> when me and you played at Gamers Haven, um, you had the we rolled headhunter, and you made your your meat shield uh, battle armor your commanders. Oh yeah, and then I just stood the Aries on top of them when right. the, when the battle armor died. So that's what I was anticipating you to do when we when Headhunter was rolled. Uh, what what made you change from that tactic to what you did at the actual tournament? Because I knew I was fighting Alex, <laughs> and I know that Alex is a rather tactical person. I also knew he didn't like Aries, so I I didn't want to I didn't want to bring both because God that would have taken forever if I brought both. Looking back on the game now, if I had had to waddle two Aries all the way across the map, that would have taken probably the same amount of time. But I think the game was pretty fun with the Scaffas and the and the single Aries. For the first forty five minutes, I don't think we thought it was very fun. No, I was I was not a happy camper, and I was I was a bit salty. But that's okay. I bought you a beer later. Yeah, you did. Thank you. And I, I mean, it wasn't totally undeserved either. I wasn't playing, in my opinion, super honorably or fun either. So I, it's definitely somewhere there's no ill will have felt my way. And I don't think you should feel bad. No. I did bad stuff too. Or I it's, did bad stuff. Not you. It's a game. It's a game. We mark it up and we go on. I had a crappy next two games. So, and you had two really good games. So, well, at least it ended up being good in the long run. <laughs> Uh, all right. So game three was the bunkers. How was that, Dave? Uh, so I played Phil on bunkers and I got relatively hosed. So I used my usual tactic that I do with the Aries and I put a piece of terrain right in between all of my bunkers and I, I deployed the Aries on top of that terrain and walked him out into the middle. The problem was I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. So, and Phil was hitting everything. So my two warriors that were dropping my infantry got smoked. My infantry got smoked. Uh, I missed really easy shots with the Ares to stop him from getting into bunkers. 
And yeah, so that one was relatively quick. Uh, congrats to Phil. He, he kicked my ass. So I lost, uh, I think it was, God, let me see. Phil got two of my bunkers and I got none of his. So yeah, I put a couple of damage points on his bunkers just out of desperation. But once he, once he took out my two bunkers, the game was pretty much over. Bum, 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 bum. All right, Alex, how's bunkers for you? All right, for my third round, I had the pleasure of playing at Chandler from the On the Origins of Battle Mech podcast and Wolfnet's Charlie Company, Cider Company. We played on the lava-themed map with some trees, some rough patches, and uh, some rather big lava hills. Train placement approach here. It's actually something that Dave and I worked on a week or two beforehand on how to best arrange your train for bunkers. I, I took the biggest hill I could find and put it between my bunkers. Park the bulk of my four-second shoot things well on there. My things that were not really intended for any kind of capping thing, any kind of capping action. They were all able to start actually on top of the hill and work their way forward into a nice spot between all three bunkers with unobstructed line of sight to all of my bunkers and a good sight line down the board as well. My general game approach was to put the field medics and J27 to serve as blocks for my rear two bunkers while fighting through the middle of the field or taking down anything, making a move on the bunkers. I'd have my VTOLs and my void battle armor move up the field and attempt to make more of the offensive bunker plays into the opponent's bunkers. The game went pretty much the way I had intended it for the two and the way I kind of hoped that it would go. Chandler pushed out with some pretty stiff opposition in the center of the field and we had a good fight for the first several turns. They had some good good pushing out on to some trees on my right side and a, a good flank on the left. I, I was a little lucky with the dice rolls, able to put down most of it, but he did get a very sneaky elemental into the center bunker and planted the bombs and got those on me. In the end, uh, I didn't get the last bunker before the game was over. There was a Thunderbolt variant C, I think. Thunderbolt Charlie on his end that was holding down the last one and keep me from getting into it. But in the end, I was able to take uh, take the victory with three objective points. And also, a shout-out for the taco trucks that Charlie Company Cider Company was giving out. I'll have to get back in touch with those franchising opportunities. Those taco trucks are a hit. Uh, they were awesome. Yeah. Uh, those are the same taco trucks that was printed out for... What What was local event was that? It, was it, it was Battle for December? the Sphere? It was, it was Battle for the Sphere. Yeah, it was Battle for the Sphere, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the exact same taco trucks, and <laughs> those things are just a hit, man. Uh, they were, they were, they were really. It was, it was especially great that they were the way they were painted. Did you guys get a uh, a billboard too? No billboard for me. No. Oh, I, <laughs> I didn't play anyone from uh, from the Char- Charlie Company Cider Company crew, so I, I was not graced with one. But they looked amazing. Um, yeah, I got one of the billboards and one of the taco trucks. So and the uh, the commercial that Phil made for. <laughs> Uh, for for Charlie Company was great. I don't know if you guys saw that yet. That was good. Yeah, that was great. It's so good. <laughs> All right, game four was hold the line. Dave, how'd that go? Or because I was dumb and made a stupid mistake. Ooh, what was that? So, well, I was playing. Uh, I was playing Ed, and Ed had his SRM launchers, which were devastating. I'm pretty sure he killed my Ares in in that game. 
we had a lot of good back and forth on that one. Uh, he brought most of his force. We had a piece of terrain in the center. I was using my Ares to guard the center center token and my Lumberjack to guard the left-hand token. And the rest of my Scaffas and Gabriels were running around just harassing him. So he and I did a lot of back and forth. Uh, the real kind of meat of the game came down at the very end when I got one of my Scaffas over to the back end and planted it on one of his uh, one of his tokens, and he got one of one of mine on the right hand side. And then at the very end, he had his stupid Savannah Master that ran over and sat on top of my left hand token, and I forgot about it. So the very Oof. last, yeah, the very last turn. I had an Ares ready to do a full over, overheat shot. So it was the Zeus. It was going to be uh, a full 12 damage. And what happened was I got tunnel visioned on his rifleman and I full, full bore into that rifleman instead of the Savannah Master that was eight inches to my left. So. When the game ended, I'm looking around the board and I just, just, shit. Tunnel vision realized, is a bitch. Yep, I realized that the Savannah Master was right there. My Ares hadn't moved, so I was effectively a skill three with 12 damage output, and I shot the wrong target. So I ended up losing, I think it was one to two, and Ed took the two, and I took the, uh, I took the one. So good job, Ed. I messed that up, and you well deserved that victory. Metal Ed for the win. What? <laughs> yep. All right, those, Alex. Those freaking SRM oh. carriers—they hit like a freaking brick wall. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love me some SRM carriers. <laughs> uh, Alex, hold the line. Game four. All right. So I believe, just like David, my fourth round was also against another Charlie Company Cider Company individual with Brett. Uh, also from On the Order of Battle Mix podcast as well. Uh, my terrain placement approach for this, we were playing on the desert terrain map with uh, some big terrain pieces and some trees. Well, actually I had, I think, two trees or three trees and some rough terrain that we played as trees because we didn't feel like trying to figure out gravel piles or rough or mud or something like that. We made a kind of a decision, hey, do you want to play these as trees? It was, I think it was actually his idea maybe, or maybe it was both of our ideas. And uh, uh, Aaron uh, came around to kind of like, hey, you're playing these wrong. And like, oh, yeah, we, we know. We, we didn't want to play the, we don't want to read the rules. We just, we're too tired at this point to learn how to play on mud or gravel, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but fortunately, uh, <laughs> it, was all, it was all fine. The game was still valid, I believe. So my big terrain placement approach here was to place the big place, big pieces of terrain such that I could have it mostly on my half and get on top of it, have some partial cover and look through most of the middle of the board, but also give kind of a firing lane on the my left side to where I could have a unit that could either maneuver to shoot down that lane or come back and cover the objectives. And it worked out pretty well. Uh, I had the heavy hover transport work up my left side to attempt to put some pressure on his objectives. While I'd had a charger move up the right side to cause some chaos uh, through kind of a narrow canyon there. 
Uh, I will say that uh, Brett had a really great thing he did is we had a gap that was exactly two inches between some trees and a hill, and he parked some units there as my heavy hover transport approached. And hover type vehicles cannot go through trees, and also it takes forever to go up a hill with a vehicle. So he had a very, very clever, uh, very tactically great way of blocking me from advancing on that left side. And we had to fight it out for quite a bit before I had... Alex, are you sure you don't mean Brad? I mean Brett. Uh, I think his name is William, but uh, he goes by Brett, I believe. Oh. Pretty sure. I think there was four of them. Yeah, it was uh, Bam- uh, Bambridge. Oh, William Bambridge. Okay. Right. Yep. yep. A.K.A. Brett. Oh. Yep. My bad. Yep, so, yeah, yeah Brett, uh, not Brad. Brett did a really good uh, tactic of uh, of doing that to keep me from getting his backfield. The only thing that kept me from doing any kind of sneaky objective was some SRM carriers parked in some woods there that were having great overwatch. Uh, in the end, the Charger uh, did a really good job. So another shout-out for the Charger here for 22 points at skill 3. It can either shoot for 2 damage at short range, which it's in most of the time. Or It'll punch. hit in the short range if it wants to most of the time because it has a 10-inch move or seven or 15-inch sprint. Of course, can't shoot when it sprints. But it can do 5 damage on a charge attack, which is way easier to calculate now that they changed that in a recent errata. If you have an older book, make sure you look up the errata for charge attacks. It's size plus TMM divided by 2. Although you might take some damage back charging something big still. Or it can just do a regular melee attack for 4. So chargers cause a lot of chaos with that. For And they have a lot of armor as well for only 22 points. So my if you, if you, if you want something to cause chaos in your list, add a charger. So I moved up the right side and caused some chaos as he was approaching through a little canyon there. While the field medics and J27 weren't home covering the bases, covering up the objectives to try to prevent anything from sneaking by and getting on them. Again, a 1PV insurance policy on the objectives. Uh, yeah, 1PV units. Not a great fan, but using the tools I'm given. Uh, so yeah, it was a good game. Able to uh, whittle it down. Uh, SRM, ch- SRM carriers came out. We had a really big battle in the middle really fun battle but in the end i had just enough stuff to get through and capture the four objective points another great game another taco truck in the books another franchising opportunity it's a great game all the tacos all right uh last match of the day game five king of the hill all right i got i got one more thing to say for my fourth game i forgot to mention yeah yeah. Uh, also shout out to brett for the headshot on the chimera i think this is the only game my chimera came in it took a brave jump right into the middle of his forces to try to get some short-range damage, and blam. Had a great am- I think it was an ammo explosion, actually, that took out that Chimera right in the middle as it came out to make its debut. So great job on that, Brett. That was awesome. Yeah, those uh, lucky, uh, lucky crits, they kind of change your plans very drastically. No plan survives contact with the enemy. Or back-to-back 12s, or a 12 and a snake eyes. <laughs> all right uh game five king of the hill dave so i played joey and as we saw as a picture that was posted up on wolfnet my aries actually made it to the middle so joey and i kind of played king of the hill the way king of the hill is meant to be played and we just both ran to the middle i brought my scaffas up there with kook lanes and he was jade falcon i believe and he got his heavies up to the center, so we were starting to duke it out. He was playing a little on the outside of the objective area token. He got the first 
I think I got the first point, he got the second point, and then we, f- I think he got the third point as well. And when it, when the Aries finally got there, I think he had, one of his light mechs was left. And my Scaphas had gotten behind it, behind his other mechs and taken them down. And at the end of the game, we still had, I still had, I think, two more points that I had to get but there was no way that he could outmass me. So we just agreed that we were going to end the game because I was just not going to shoot at him and get the last two objective points, and then we'd finish it on the on the last one. And so he got to, to save a little bit of his, uh, his MOV. I think I walked away with 164 MOV, and he got, I want to say... I think he got 70 of my 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 stuff cuz he I think he got the Kukulains and he might have gotten one of the Scaffas also. But at the end of the day it was it was an Aries an almost fresh Aries sitting on the objective area token and the, with the Aries with a turret there's no there's no way a size 2 or size 1 unit is going to do enough damage in any appreciable amount of time to take that unit down. So I won by sheer force of weight, I suppose. Which is the whole point of it, <laughs> for scoring yeah. at least. Um, the truffle shuffle. <laughs> the truffle shuffle made it to the middle and then sat there. As was designed. All right, uh, Alex, King of the Hill, how was it for you? So for my fifth round, King of the Hill was against Jesty from the Southern California area of the country. He had an awesome, excellently painted and display board Scorpion Empire or Scorpion Imperio list. Uh, So train players and approach for this, we're playing on the city map. So there's a lot of level two and up terrain there with lots of buildings. A few of them were level one only, but most of them were big enough to hide an entire mech behind. A general strategy here was uh, to slow down Jesty's access to the center while trying to provide myself cover to the center. Uh, However, we ended up mostly with a pretty much symmetrically city layout, so uh, props to those city designers who designed this perfectly balanced and excellent city. The game approach, pretty simple. Wanted to get in close and win attrition. Uh, I brought a Avatar, Sunder, Charger, a Skill 2, Tokugawa, and... uh, the heavy hover transport with the heavy infantry and the two field medics and J27. So we all moved out towards the middle. Jesty went in for a a quick into the middle in the first turn, I believe, or second turn was it? Uh, but the skill two Kokugawa was able to uh, take that unit out before he was able to score. Quite fortunately, uh, from then on, we had a really big battle between his jumping behemoth and the fire scorpion. Facing off against what I had left there with his, he had an on her VTOL scurrying around as well, getting back shots on a lot of my stuff and causing some of my units to have to chase it around a little bit. But yeah, it was, a, it was definitely just all metal in the middle for us here, with my heavy hover transport and the and the heavy infantry chasing around and artillery equipped Oler he had that was also putting a lot of hurt on my closely grouped together units in the middle. Uh, in the end, I was it ended up going my way and ended up coming away with the victory on this one as well. This is another scenario where the charger sign shines really well because you get a size 4 unit at either skill 2 for four, 18 points or at skill 3 for 22 points that can cause a lot of chaos, attract a lot of attention in the middle, and also be size 4 for the purposes of King of the Hill balance. 
Another great game for the fifth game of the day. And also, Jesse, thanks for the awesome Pizza Palace buildings, too. Those were great, great as well. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Dave, you ended up finishing, what was it, 10th? 10th. 10th. Alex came away with the number two. Colorado came away with a podium. Uh, so congrats. Thanks for representing and doing Colorado proud. I was at the bottom. Thanks for bringing away a W for, for the Colorado gang. Let's see. Alex, you were voted uh, numero uno for, for the paint. Um, you want to talk about your, your paint scheme and your little diorama real quick? Yeah, sure thing I will. But there's one thing I actually meant to mention in my opening salvo at the beginning of the podcast I want to go through. So I put together a bunch of statistics about the Colorado players here. I Uh-oh. put some on our group, but I want to read out loud for everyone else here too because you know we're talking a little bit about the stuff uh, I've done here, but we all as a collective group did quite a bit. So for the 10 total players we brought, we had 97 objective points out of all 10 of us, uh, 6097 margin of victory, which is that's the amount of points for PV destroyed which is probably higher of an elevation most of us live at. I know Colorado Springs downtown's at 6035 feet of elevation. Uh, we had two of the top MOV scores. I think it was myself and Charles. Charles had 755. I had 752. Murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of destruction for sure. Uh, yeah. So we had three players in the top 10 as well. I believe that was myself, Charles, and David. We had second place for the AS350 singles. Uh, that was that was me with the best paint as well. And But also... Don't forget our first place finish, of course, with Max and Matt. That's one that we got to make sure we remember, too. Max and Matt with first place in the first ever inaugural AS50 doubles tournament on Saturday. Look, we don't want to remember that last game, do we, Ben? No, no. That was, that was a rough game, <laughs> that man. That was rough. That was, uh, that was a rough game. Yeah, don't forget to mention also uh, we had the most Aries brought, Super Heavies, five total, I think, between Ben, <laughs> We were David, the only Aries there. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of big old fat boys here. That's right. The best miniatures painted in the hotel room the night before. I think Mike's already talking about this a little bit, but amazing looking Kellhounds for the for the amount of pressures put under that speed painting there. Speed painting thank competition you, thank you. Be Mike, I think, for sure. And then uh, also most number of matching outfits from the Colorado crew in general. All of you guys with the cool cool green and black jerseys that y'all had for the uh, Valhalla Club podcast crew. So anyway, all right. Now that I've gone through my giant list of statistics there that i wanted to let everyone hear about uh, i guess we can talk about some painting and stuff no one will ever think that you're not a feel great officer oh really why is that too many spreadsheets spreadsheets and statistics did you make a powerpoint uh yeah i did but i need to catch it up a little still it's never done yeah. no it's an excel sheet with all the all the the formulas and whatnot to auto calculate hey man leave my 200 device that i use to build all that shit alone <laughs> hey, i mean i i thoroughly rely on excel to to build out my 200s and, and all that other stuff uh and uh yeah um, i think it's also so, uh something neat is that uh alex you and i i think of our group had the most difficult people to play so you had your strength of schedule was 0.52 and mine was 0.6. And I think the highest... Mine was 0.62. That, was your 0.62? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's Ben. So the three of us had played some of the more difficult people in the day. So I think from looking at this, the highest, the most difficult person who played was uh, 
John Colton, he had a 0.68 strength of schedule and he finished seventh. That's interesting. You know, I, I focused a lot on like, you know, well, you know, I asked me for these kind of weird where you can be in the championship game. Uh, shout out to Goolsby here. And just based upon number of objective points as a tiebreaker, not end up getting getting second place or even on the podium, which is, I, I guess, kind of one of the artifacts of how Swiss system works. And I mean, we could talk about whether that's fair or not, you know, I I kind of I do keep that in mind, you know. I didn't even play in the championship game and came in with second just because of how how it works. But I really focused on well, I didn't even play anyone in the top ten except for David, and to David I lost. But I guess I didn't really take into account how a lot of the other players I faced probably were in the higher end of the bracket still to mm-hmm. keep strength of schedule a little bit a little bit higher. So maybe I'll bring down my imposter syndrome a little bit, uh, keeping that in mind. <laughs> possibly. No, you 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 did not have the easiest group of people to play. Yeah. Goolsby dropped because that final game was him and Mario, so that was first and second, and he dropped down to after that game sixth. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I guess it, I guess if you can find a way to get objective points, even if you're going to lose, really pays dividends. If you just even sneak in one or two as you go along the day, mm-hmm. whenever yeah, you have like really a loss, it brings you down a lot for sure. It's yeah, tough. in this system, the the objective points are what win win the tournament it's just that's the way it is so i mean you can be like charles and you get freaking what do you 755 uh mov but you're still you know five points out of the the top bracket and like even me i had i was only at uh 13 objective points so i mean mario crushed everybody i think he got every objective point that he could because he finished with 20 20 out of 20. That's right. Yeah. I was at a 18 out of 20 myself in, in second there. I think that uh, Tommy behind me might have had 16, I believe. Going on uh, he had 15. Phil finished with 14. Ed with 12. Sean with 11. And then John Colton with 16. Charles with 15. Uh, Matt Barons at 14. Me at 13. And that rounds out the uh, the top 10. Well, I guess that was kind of a big departure from talking about painting. Uh, sorry, a little bit. <laughs> should I keep going, or do you want to reintroduce this, or how do you want to? How do you want no, to you, play it? You just keep going. It's cool. Cool. Yeah. So I, I was really honored to ha- have earned the rest of the players' votes for best painted. I I took a lot of pride in this part of it. Hobbying and lore, some of the things I like the most about BattleTech. Uh, some, uh, not name any names. <laughs> Charles Gideon. <clears throat> might say that I used lore as a cheat to kind of squeeze out some extra votes. Uh, so I guess I'll talk a little about what I, what I did here. I had a one-by-one one terrain board that was showing the last known recorded history of the 12th Ghost Regiment of the Draconis Combine. So for those who do not know, the Ghost Regiments of the Draconis Combine were formed kind of leading up to... It's covered in a lot in uh, Heir to the Dragon, the book, I think the forming of the Draconis Combine, if any of you guys are novel fans, but... Theodore Carita wanted to bring some of the kind of organized crime, Yakuza-type people in the Draconis Combine into the military fold and organization, giving them a little more legitimacy, I believe. So they have a lot of very elaborate, very cool uh, very cool paint jobs amongst them. Some of them have like serpent tattoos across the entire mech. Some actually look like cherry blossom trees, which are a very big thing in, in Japan. Cherry blossom trees blooming in the bright pink fashion the one ended up going with the 12th ghost regiment they uh their official canon camo scheme is a dusky gray 
with a black star field across the mech, typically going down from the right shoulder downward with 12 cycles of the moon uh, and blazing across them. So that's what I decided to go with. I want something to kind of push my 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 limits as a painter a little bit. Uh, also tried working in two-tone cockpits for the first time. Uh, but it was it was a decent amount of work and all Iron Winds Metal Force, which we all know Iron Winds Metals has its own 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 challenges. And the the lore bit that this was centered around was how on the planet of On Ting, they had given the 12th Goads Regiment gave up the dropship to allow some civilians to escape as the world was being condemned by the Draconis Combine for an outbreak of a engineered virus that got there from Galadon 5, which is a neighboring planet a few few systems down. I, I put a pretty detailed scenario thing together of, uh, of how I ended up doing the painting of the maps, about 11 steps or so. Uh, everything I've done is, is on the backs of other people. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not a cam, I'm not a canvas vex painter. I'm not uh, any, anything like that. Uh, and I, everything I learned was basically from people like camo specs. And I think maybe a little bit of Duncan Fisher technique. So I try to put as much of that together. I can to pass along to other people. And I have it in my giant tournament report PDF. Uh, if anyone's looking for it, hit me up, and I can make sure you, you you get a copy of it if you're interested in, in learning more about it and seeing some pictures. Yeah, so a dropship's blasting off while all of my units are standing in front of it, kind of exiting out of the dropship into the great unknown across a river with a bridge over it. And, you know, the, the VTOLs and the hovercraft are kind of cruising down the river while everything else is marching out to see what happens to this barren planet as it's cut off and isolated from us in your sphere. So I, I'm really honored and thank you for those uh, those who voted for me. I, I appreciate it. Uh, There's a lot of really great competition there and I think also some uh, technically better painters for sure in terms of the mech color. I think uh, I was able to dog and pony show it up uh, with the terrain board and the lore to, to steal some votes there. Um, but there's, there's definitely some other people that deserved it as much if not more than me. So I'm really humbled and honored by 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 that i would say don't sell yourself short the the fact that your your bases matched and integrated into that terrain board was awesome that yeah that's another thing too i guess uh terrain boards i don't think it was popular in BattleTech yet but some other systems you know i know a lot of the 40k guys have terrain boards a lot of there's other system i play called kings of war where a lot of people have terrain boards for their armies and you can do some really cool stuff, and Battletech, I think, is really primed for that kind of terrain board action, since it's the scale is great, so you can fit a lot of interesting stuff on, on the board, because the units are a little bit smaller. And we also have so much lore to pull from if you want to, like, recreate a scene. You, we've all seen the Gen Con dioramas with, like, the text talk Battletech or, uh, voiceovers of them, and how cool those are, you know? It's it's a little bit more work to do, but it's a great way to bring your, your stuff to life, and they want to do a terrain board. I recommend you go for it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do that part of the hobby. All right. Well, again, congratulations on winning Best Painted. Uh, the entire um, diorama that you had looked amazing. Um, so, again, congratulations. Well earned and deserved. Um, any other closing remarks for OVO in general or the 350 tournament in general before we move on? So, I think my only... I- I was a little caught off by the the terrain elements that they put into it. They weren't bad. They added a little bit of interesting uh, interesting flavor to the games. But uh, like Alex, I think I still would have preferred just regular forests because you know that's what we were prepared for. So I think 
I don't know. They were a cool flavor, but I could have I could have gone either way on them. Yeah, I think every map that had uh, snow or mud, anything that involved bog down, um, it it was obviously placed on the board because it had to be. It was part of the available terrain for that map. But I don't know. I mean, well, at least out of my games, at least uh, whenever that stuff was placed down, I just never went in it. <laughs> I just avoided it. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but I mean, it made for amazing looking maps. Um, they definitely looked great. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it was heavily used in the in- intended manner. I don't know, but, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's it's those additional rules that people normally don't use on a regular basis. And if you're not kind of prepared for them, you, you kind of just go, and eh, let's just stick this over here in the corner where nobody's going to go kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I only that. used, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I used one time the, the snow field um, or the, whatever it was, it was the tundra map. I think that had a snow field on it. And the only thing with that is you could get a mech in there that, uses overheat and it the snowfield will dissipate that heat in that turn. So that was that's kind of a, a neat little thing to do with it. But aside from the mud and everything else. Yeah, I didn't uh, really have to deal with any of that. I was stuck on the moon board for three out of five games. So <laughs> well I think too what really hurts um the additional terrain that includes the the bog down and everything else uh that was brought out for the LVO tournament was their two-inch gap rule. Uh, all yep. terrain has to have a two-inch gap around it from other terrain. So that just enables you to avoid it. Right. Uh, without that, you could easily put that mud bog or deep snow in you know, in a choke point to force someone through it and then actually use those rules. But with the two-inch buffer, you can just avoid it. Um, but yeah, so I think yeah. that's the drawback to, to those type of those types of terrain. What, um, what would you guys change out of your list if you had to do it over again? I would get rid of one of the Aries. I would probably drop the, uh, the Zeus because the Zeus is nice having that eight medium range and a four overheat, but I use the Hera a lot more often. And by dropping the Zeus, I could get probably two medium mechs that would be a li- add a little more flexibility to the list and, or just drop it for, Something like that, uh, that Dayashi that has the five flak on it. But I think, honestly, from what I saw at LVO, we use VTOLs a whole lot more here than what I saw at LVO. So I think I probably would have dropped it for the, uh, the medium mechs and just added a little bit more, you know, maneuver flexibility in my list. Speed. Right. <laughs> We're going with you. maneuver maneuver flexibility. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I think I would probably wait a few minutes and hope that someone makes it so I can't take field medics anymore and not bring field medics. <laughs> so so I'm gonna I'm gonna pontificate on this for a couple minutes here. I know we're getting a little long. Sorry. Uh, no, nah, you're good. So it's all good. So, so everyone's familiar with icing the kicker in football, right? So for those who yeah. are international, maybe don't know, right? The idea when a place kick is happening for something like a three-point attempt in American football, you can call a timeout right before the play of the snap. Kicker might overpressure, might think longer. So we have a, a tactic for icing the kicker, right? Which is legal, is statistically proven to make the kicker about 10% more likely to miss the field goal. 
but it's also very, very universally derided by all the fans. Like, I don't think there's any fan that goes to a football game like, man, I can't wait till they call that timeout and I to kick it. It's going to be a really great play. Like, no one's looking forward to that tomorrow at the Super Bowl, right? Right. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that I would really like to see an addendum where zero, zero, zero units are eliminated. So right. you're... I mean, I. Well, they're combat can, ineffective, right? Yes, that's the thing. So oh, oh, I can, I'll, I can I'll, see. I'll contest that point in a second. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'm going to contest that one I, too. I know. <laughs> so, yes, a flatbed can ram things. It can do three damage, which I still think is stupid because there's no way an F-150 is going to run into the side of an Abrams, and the Abrams tank is even going to care. Um, the field medics, yes, I think they're stupid. I think it would be great, especially now with the infantry. Uh, points adjustment to see a five point and below or a four point and below ban because most even your foot platoons they're still about five points uh i don't know that anything below five points really has a, a point on the table other than to you know cause a problem be mm-hmm. a initiative sync and i say that because i brought two units that were three pv each and they were completely well they weren't totally useless my black wolves actually did a successful anti-mech attack and i thought that was hilarious for a skill seven unit to actually successfully do an anti-mech attack but they they leave they, they hit that bad feeling kind of part of the game because it's you know you know why they're there they're there to sync initiative they're there to do nothing really other than either block a bunker entrance or block a or just run into you and then die or take up an initiative slot so yeah i think i think the game would be improved by not allowing those units yeah man there's way too good for one pv right initiative sinks what we talk about all the time right but i've killed things with a field medic a one pv unit has taken down a thing by with that star zero damage you know and, and that's super, a that's super super cheap way to hold down the objective or especially on uh on what's it called hold the line they can hold down an objective and spend at least one more turn to get that thing to move out of the way so you can go and take the objective but I would have to say there has to be an exception to that because of the J27. Hmm. Because that's the only way right now that you can get a onboard artillery uh, trailer onto the onto the table. Right. You have to bring a J27, yeah. which costs at most two points. Maybe three if you skill it up to like skill two, which no one is ever going to. Or you take the armor variant, which has, it's a four point. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you could do that. You could take the armor variant and skill it to skill three and make it cost five points. So, I mean, there's, that is an option, but I don't know that everybody has access to the armor variant. Right. I do kind of think it's a little bit of crap that your, uh, the, the field medics, medics have an anti-mech special. Like, so you're going to yeah, carry around, kind of your, you're going to carry around satchel charges and all your medical gear. No, no, you're not. Oh, they uh, got a security element. Well, then that would that's a separate unit card, uh, Ben. Um, <laughs> me- medics aren't carrying all that bullshit. Yeah, well, true. But um, yeah, uh, not a big fan that medics can anti-mech attack. That's just me. I just think in general the medics, the flatbeds, and the other stuff just 
they should I hate to say to put them on the ban list, but I think they need to be because I yeah. think that they are just they are more of an abusive mechanic than they are useful to the game fully agree they just can do too much for one pv i would auto include them every time you know i i tried to make mine a little bit bigger profile with a little medic tent on them so maybe if someone to shoot them, they have easier time shooting them my little tiny bone to throw back <laughs> to my opponent but i mean it is just oh, man one pv that can do so much i would take 50 field medics over an atlas in the way it's currently written <laughs> sorry all right so, any, uh, go ahead ben i was gonna go through the uh recommendations going to a big con yeah was this was this alex and dave was this your first big con this is my first and only con so far and yeah this is my first uh, big con as well yep what do you what do you uh what did you take away from the big con aspect of things i'd rather go to gen con hmm? i mean vegas is nice but i don't see the appeal in vegas itself and I think it would be more fun to go to a convention that is more broadly, either more broadly catering to a lot of different games than, I mean, obviously LVO is primarily Warhammer focused. And then you have a couple other small, uh, small tournaments going on. Like you had X-Wing and Legion and uh, a couple other smaller games there as long as well as us. But the, the vendor area was really small. The and it was almost all Warhammer focused. So it would have been it would have been, I think, more fun from an investment standpoint to go to Gen Con or Adepticon because there is there's more focus on the game that we're there to play. So for me, that's my suggestion is skip LVO, go to Gen Con or go to Adepticon. Yeah, I don't know if I'd do LVO again. Um, I had a great time, don't get me wrong. But as the only mini game that I'm remotely into, um, I mean, I, I at least want to go to a con that's got a CGL presence. Uh, the lack of the CGL presence uh, kind of made me a little sad face. Um, so I'll try to get to Gen Con because I know they'll always be there. Um, I don't know if I can go this year. I will try. Um, but at the very least, I'll probably be able to swing next year who knows um that's a year and a half ish away but yeah yeah gen con and adepticon are definitely out for me this year because uh i came back and gave my wife covid so yeah she was not super happy about that so who on you (laughs) on her birthday weekend so yeah that was that's gonna take some uh some lot of goodwill points to be built up over the next year to go to another Yeah, con. man, you got a lot of brownie points to earn now. <laughs> what about you, Alex? What do you think? Yeah, so I think uh, I think you guys have taken a lot of the words right out of my mouth here. Uh, the Vegas part, I do I did like a little bit of getting to do some of the casino games uh, beforehand. I, I like playing, I mean, uh, excuse me, correction, losing money at craps a little bit every now and then. Uh, so that was kind of fun to do that, but... Uh, I came into this with the perception that it's a big tournament people are traveling to. It'd be some kind of a giant competitive, you know, dare I say, even worried about power gaming experience. You know, we hear a lot about the winning list at these cons and for the last three histories of even the ASVD system of what the winning list looked like. And I'm just spending a lot of time thinking about how to make sure that I can actually win something. But really, most people are bringing pretty normal lists 
right now. Like nothing like too crazy out there or fun. So it was it was it ended up being not being as competitive as I as I thought in terms of really out there edge case stuff. So it was really nice. Uh, but I, I definitely agree. Adepticon or Gen Con be great. There's a couple other systems that I would like to play as well, like Kings of War or this naval fantasy game I have too. And also, those cons have a lot of good demo events to do if you want to just try out something you've never tried before. Yeah, I think that would have been a lot of fun yeah. to see too, because there yeah, just absolutely. there wasn't any real, or maybe we just didn't look for it, but there wasn't really demos going on. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah um, so much stuff to do different. No, I mean I, I'm really happy I went. Still, it was a lot of fun great to hang out off the board as well very fun yeah i agree with you i was kind of surprised that we didn't see more power gamey lists because i mean we see those around here a little bit and it was it was fun to see just a real good mix there wasn't like a single meta that everyone was running and it, it didn't seem like except for freaking mario crushing everybody that uh, there wasn't a specific, like I said, there wasn't a meta that was winning everything. So I guess it's like that Brooklyn Nine-Nine meme uh, where Andy Sandberg looks back at the camera and says, are we the baddies? Because maybe we were the guys that were doing all the nasty Matta stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Dave's running out of time here. Uh, so let's move on Way over to... Out, What's up? Way to call me out, bro. Yeah. Uh, well... I don't know if everyone sees the chat, so I had to vocalize it, you know. <laughs> but um, Dave's running low on time. Uh, so let's move on over into hobby burnout, which is something myself, Alex, um, and me and Ben have talked about on and off over the past month or so. Uh, so, True, so have I. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to talk about ho- hobby burnout a little bit. Um and I figure we can start off with Dave since he's got the least amount of time available <laughs> at the moment. Uh, so st- lead, lead us off, Dave. So for me, mm, the thing that's been, I guess, pushing me a little bit has been running all of these tournaments lately and the events. So that's been my burnout. And it has been just, there are there's a lot that goes into it and you put a lot of yourself out there into running these events and you put a lot of heart into it and it's it's a lot of build up to a single day and then sometimes you don't get what you thought you were going to get out of it or you are pushed in a direction you didn't want to go but for me honestly it's just been I'm going to take a step back away from running events for a little bit here in Colorado. And I'm going to focus more on what I enjoy out of the hobby. So like I've even been talking with Alex, we're going to start up a, uh, a narrative uh, type uh, classic or alpha strike. And we're just going to play that for a while and just focus on what's fun to play. And I think that's the the most important thing. If you're, if you feel like you're getting burned out is to, figure out what it is that is burning you out and just stop doing that. So step away from that aspect of the game and focus on uh, what you enjoy about the game. And for me, I just think I'm, I'm, I'm smoked on tournaments right now. I'm, I'm ready to get back to 
just the fun aspects of crazy battle tech, whether it's classic or alpha strike. Yeah, no, I feel you. Um, Cause I've, I know I've voiced that a few times. Uh, so like here in Colorado, we've been really hard and heavy into the WolfNet 350 system for the last year and a half. Um, mainly because it's a great way to, for one, it's, it's, it's an easy to run rule set. It's already established. It doesn't require a whole lot of work. Um, from, from a TO perspective, uh, aside from, uh, building all the terrain for an event and whatnot, but as for, cause WolfNet already did, you know, 90% of the work and that's in the, the rule set and everything else, uh, from a TO perspective, it's just officiating and being a, uh, the officiation, the preparation, the the organizing people, the yeah. venue. But I think the majority of the work for for like that tournament rule set is in the rules, um, and they did a great job with it. But here in Colorado, we've been so heavy into it for the last year and a half. I'm I'm kind of I'm fried on the Wolfnet tournament aspect. Um, I don't have any qualms with it. I'm just, we've just done it so much. So I'm just kind of tired of it, you know? And it does alienate people that are not into tournament play. And most of the Battletech community is not competitive tournament focused because it's, it's, it was never a game that was designed to be competitive. It doesn't mean it's not fun being competitive. And I have definitely enjoyed playing these tournaments and i think they're a whole uh, they're a blast to go to but i'm just ready to get back to to some of the uh more narrative stuff yeah and i know uh there's uh what you've got regular alpha strike classic you can do the tournament aspect for alpha strike they're trying to create a tournament aspect for for classic with the btcc but there's still so many ways to play it. There's the whole RPG side with Destiny in a Time of War. Uh, you can create your own campaign style with Alpha Strike or Classic um, and be more narrative focused. And as an individual that uh, I, I love the lore and the books, it's the only books I've ever actually enjoyed reading and have, has ever retained my focus as a reader. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to stepping away from the tournament side, doing some more narrative focus. And I, I did thoroughly enjoy our, um, uh, oh, what was it? The, the battle for black earth, uh, the, cause that was a narrative focus. Um, it was hexless classic, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, and that was a lot of fun. So stuff like that, I can absolutely get behind. Um, but yeah, um, I'm a little fried, on, on the tournament scene. I mean, and there's even times where I'll look at my little paint booth on the table here and see that I've got work to do, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And I'll say that week after week after week <laughs> to where I end up only actually working on painting. And thus the pile of shame grows. And, and thus the pile of shame grows, especially as new force packs are coming out <laughs> and I'm buying them. Um, but like, yeah, I was, I've been working on these Kellhounds for months uh, and they're still not done, you know, <laughs> and it's just a matter of looking at it and be like, ah, not, not feeling it. Um, but yeah, so you don't want to, I don't know. My, my, my thought process died on that, but, um, 
uh, Alex, what you got for some burnout? Yeah, so my experience, I guess, is a little different. A lot of you fine gentlemen were sp- investing a lot of time in doing stuff for the community and hosting tournaments and all the stress with that. I, I didn't really have a chance to take part in as much of that with work schedule and reserves schedule and stuff, uh, other than just adding some token terrain and a mini here or there for, for painting. Uh, mine was mostly about, I think, uh, but still a lot of similarities in the overuse of the system. We started this process of all kind of group chatting and talking about our lists and really dominating a lot of what we were doing in Battletech with just AS350 all the time only. And I ended up just feeling I got so far away from the stuff that brought me into the system in 2019, which was, you know, some good friends sitting around a table, playing through a narrative scenario, enjoying all this rich lore that we have in the universe. Uh, other things that were contributing to me, just, you know, I had a sense of guilt, like I needed to always be preparing for this tournament coming up. And uh, I learned, you know, that it was a games workshop focused event and all worries about competitive stuff, you know, all these worries about winter travel. You know, David mentioned all the worries about the hotel being maybe not everything we thought was up to be. Caring about all every, I feel like every week or so there's some kind of strange tactic you could use, like the like the VTOL drop and then partial cover behind the VTOL in front of a bunker tactic to make it impossible to hit someone on the infiltration of a bunker. Uh, other tactics like that, rampant, like all these things like worry and haggle about. And I just got to a point where I was thinking like, man, like how did I get this far away from, from what we did? And I've been following the system since I heard about it on the Wolfnet podcast in either 2019 or 2020. I think it was probably 2020 and played, played a lot of games in the beginning. I was just getting really worried about it. And so some things that helped me out with that was just, uh, first of all, the group chat that we had, everyone, a lot of encouragement from everyone uh, you know, encouragement that, you know, it'd be fun to be there, not just for the tournament. You know, remembering that it's about being there in community, not always about winning. I had a lot of, uh, I guess, cognitive dissonance or things I couldn't quite square in my head. Like, all right, purpose of a competitive tournament or whatever is to go out and win. But I built this nice list that, you know, ended up, you know, it sounds kind of dumb now because it came in second. But I was worried about not, like, doing, like, any good at all. Because, uh, uh, like, worried all about trying to win and stuff but I, I there were things i knew that were wrong with it like things i knew that were not like the best list it could be but i wanted to go with this so like why am i doing all this work for a list that i know is not going to be like even have a chance at doing any well which ended up being kind of a silly as the second place winner yeah right and it being kind of a dumb <laughs> right there. but so kind of like worrying and guilt stuff about all that so the encouragement from all of, all of y'all helps uh reducing th- i reduced the complexity of the trip a little bit by shortening it and uh, my wife didn't come with me originally she was going to come we were going to do some vegas stuff uh, i know that some people at the tournament did a really good job making it work with family or, or friends out there wives and, and kids out there to do other stuff off the table but you know i was i was just getting all worked up to like how to balance it all and well i'll go to a tournament to hang out with the community but at the same time i'm trying to balance that with uh wife time for making it a, a family trip as well as community and just going through all that in my head just was stressing me out a little bit um no kind of hits on either my friends or my wife by any means but you know it's just a lot of responsibility and stuff to balance as i know all you family guys know uh getting some rest also make for making too rash of a decision you know i was like i was ready to cancel like my flights and try to get refunds on my tickets at one point in time in december but i waited about a week at the time i was on some night shift work and that was always a lot of fun during the holidays and ended up kind of coming to my senses a little more. I'll remind myself that, you know, there's other game systems out there, other ways to play alpha striker out there. 
you know, we, we got in a couple of games that were not AS350 in that time before leading up to it. That helped balance me out a little. Some like very much more casual things, some more lore-driven things with my campaign with Jake that we're doing. We brewed some mead and did some Battletech. Um, and then also just playing other games as well, like balancing it out and trying out some other games for a little bit. So Cooler Heads prevailed. I went. It was a blast. Um, if you've committed to going to the tournament, you probably committed for a reason. I, my recommendation is don't be so quick to back out. Think about things. Talk to some friends. Rebase yourself, uh, and and things will be things will be good. As 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 King as Hank Hill said in one of the King of Hill episodes. But maybe Bobby is onto something with this. It's okay to feel good stuff. That was a meme I put in my little tournament report there. <laughs> so Ben, what do you got for for some hobby burnout? What's what's been on your mind of late? Well, you know I, I've been in this game system for a long time, and you know I know. There's a lot of different options out there, and I know Alex, you hit on it pretty well. Is is you just got to kind of take a step back and go, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I getting stressed out about a game, and this is not what brought me into the game, kind of thing, you know? Um, the <clears throat> there's a lot of different mindsets out there about how to play the game, and that's kind of the beauty of BattleTech is there's so many different options that you have to play the game. But if you find yourself to the point where you're getting like, I hate this game. I don't want to play this game anymore. This is a stupid game. These rules don't make any sense. You know, then, then maybe take a step back and just go, all right, what brought me into the game? I like big stompy robots. Cool. Let's just go do that shit. You know, let's just go have a good game where we sit around and drink a beer, you know, eat some pretzels and, and just have a good time. Um, the tournament scene uh, you know, I've been playing in the tournament scene for about two years now, I'm traveling different cons and, and, you know, the people I've met have been fantastic. Um, it's been a great time and, you know, a lot of, a lot of good players are out there, but I think it just gets to a point where you expect one thing going into a tournament. And this is one of the talks I had with Max when we were at LVO was, you know, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, there's there's really two different types of players in a tournament scene. There's the player that is building a list because they want their list to place top five, top whatever, you know. That's what they're looking at. They're looking at the metas. They're looking at the, you know, one PV, you know, medics. <laughs> they're looking at the initiative syncing. They're looking at the edge case of rule systems and stuff like that. You know, running all the math to find out which is legitimately more effective by one to two PV. Right, right. You know, there's there's players that that enjoy that type of stuff, and and good on them. You know, but I think there's the second type of player is the player that just builds a list because they think it's going to be cool, or they they want to see this mech on the table because they don't really see it that often. You know, or they don't get to play with it as much. Or they want to try out, you know, different combinations because they've never messed with VTOLs or they've never messed with a lot of artillery or something like that. So they want to try that out just to see how it'll work. And they have in their head that it's going to do a certain thing. And then they run up against a guy that is the edge case meta player and it turns into a negative play experience, you know. Um, And I don't know what the right answer is on that. You know, I don't know how to tackle that problem, you know? Um, and in my mind, it is a problem because the 
the players that are just going to play and have a good time are getting stomped on by the guys that are there to win, win, win. You know, we all want to win. We all want to do the best we can with what we got. But but losing every game sucks. It does. It does. And, you know, that was my, I think that was my experience at Battle Barn last year when I went to Indy. And I think I lost every single game. And it came down to me and Tommy fighting it out for the very last spot, who was going to take last place. And we were 17th and 18th, I think, or something like that. Something, something dumb. And we just got to a point where we're like, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to have a good time and, you know, let's get drunk. What else can we do at this point? Yeah. So, you know, it just turns into that type of stuff where, you know, I don't know tournament wise, if that's the way to go um, for, for a lot of, Players that are just looking to have a good time, you know, um, it can be negative for some players, for some people, and and you've got to know yourself a little bit to know what you're getting into with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think ninety eight percent of the BattleTech community, at least, um, ni- you know, ninety to the ninety eight percent players within that large percentage. Uh, will adjust their play style real quick within those first one to two turns or even before they even deploy their units because they know generally the type of player that they're facing. Right. And they don't want that opponent to have a poor experience. So they'll make different decisions to where it's still a good game, a close game, um, and it's, it's just not a steamroll event. Yeah, and, and that's something I know. I don't know if I brought up in the last podcast or it's in the last couple of weeks is all kind of running together for me. But I know Charles and myself and Matt talked about it a lot in the car ride back. You know how, especially in the tournament scene, where you're going up against a top player that's that's out there to to really you know win 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 kind of thing, and then the next round you go to a brand new player and you you don't want to you know as a veteran player, I'm not going to say I'm a good player, but as a veteran player that, you know, knows the rules pretty well and knows what I can do within the rules, but my moral compass doesn't allow me to do some things because I'm just like, that's, I don't want to go down that road. But, you know, going from playing a a player, like in my first round, I played Mario, where it was a very tactical game and we're both pretty decent. We played each other on several occasions to going to play a, a new guy that's been in the Alpha Strike scene for about two weeks, it's kind of a mind switch where you've got to kind of dial back what you know you can do and and not turn it into a negative play experience with for this for this new player. You know, and then the next turn or the next round, you're up in the top bracket again. You're playing somebody that's that's, you know, really into the edge case piece, you know. So it's that mental switch that you have to go through between your different players you're playing in a tournament is something that some people can do and some people just don't, you know? So that's, that's kind of where I don't know what the right answer is, but it comes down to, I think the, the, the piece of why are you playing the game? You know, what got you into the game? What, what, what do you enjoy about the game? And if tournaments are not what you enjoy about the game, then play something else, you know? Go back to the narrative campaigns. Go back to the narrative scenarios. Go back to just a pickup game of, hey, bring, you know, 
10,000 PV or, you know, 500 PV and, and let's, let's play an Alpha Striker or a classic game or something, you know? Yeah. Um, I know I've seen a few comments over the past couple months on various discord servers of people almost ready to rage quit. Um, and it's just like, please don't, you know, take, take a deep breath, take that step back. Um, look at, look at what, what you love about it. There's more than one way to play the game. And if the person that you've been playing against is regularly is kind of like the reason that you're kind of getting fed up with it, well, find find somebody else to play with you know what i mean because <laughs> i mean there are individuals that treat every pickup game as a tournament and it's right. nothing but right. min max every single time um and i mean me personally i i hate that um i i'm not a big fan of uh every match being like that that min max case or like oh well um I measure, you know, like I'll hover my measuring tape above these units, and then my opponent says, "Oh, well, that's twenty four point oh one." I measured, like, but did you? Um, where's the micrometer? And now I'm just pissed off for the rest of the game. Right. And that's that's not fun. Um, it's not. Like, especially as a pickup game. Like, come on. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's it's the evolution of the player. You know, it's it's something you go through. I think every player goes through it at, at some point in their gaming career if they stick with a, a game system for very long, you know, where you, you start off learning the basic rule sets and then you go, okay, well, you know, we can min-max this to the point where, you know, it's unstoppable. And you do that for a little while and then you're like, well, this isn't as fun as I thought it would be because, you know, nobody else is really doing this. And then you go back to the 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 just the base standard models kind of stuff and go, everything's got their little strengths and weaknesses and you, and you try and figure out those little pieces of it. So yeah, I'm with you, Mike. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, you've really, you can have that piece of negative, you know, time with a player, but I think a lot of people too will say, well, you know, this is the only player I got in my area. And then, then so join now. our Discord and find another player and play on Mega Mech or Tabletop Simulator. <laughs> or like I say, find somebody you like and teach them how to play. There's also that. You know? Spread the love. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, take, taking that step away from the tournament scene, like going back to those larger PV games or switching back into classic mode for a bit. Um, I mean, last month, me and Alex played the game uh, uh, where we added in some probably way too many um, optional rules uh, to the like we we even talked about adding in battlefield support points and then we ended up not using any of them <laughs> like we forgot about them completely right. but like we were using uh, formation bonuses and over time I've I've come to like formation bonuses a little bit now I do have a personal rule of not um, of of a limit of no more than one battle lance because having more than one battle lance uh, is not cool because that's way too many lucky spa rerolls and alex wasn't a big fan of it um and that's perfectly okay um but it's just communicating that you know uh and i think he had forgotten that he wasn't a fan of the 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 the, yeah the the lucky spa with the battle lance and like and if if uh, and, until we, until I rerolled it, and he was like, "This is bullshit," <laughs> and yeah. and you know, um, 
so just remembering those things that, and that's not to, not to, you know, shit on you, Alex, by any means whatsoever. I think it was still a good game. Um, And it's easy to forget some of the things that uh, you're not a fan of, especially when there's so many optional things you can add into a game. I mean, like, hey, I'm cool with formation bonuses, but not this one specific one. Like, okay, well, then I just won't use that one, and I'll make a different different style one. Um, But there's so many optional ways, optional rules, so many ways to change up the game um, to make it not what pissed you off in the first place. Or, you know, um, so just taking that step back, adding in some of those optional things, um, changing game styles. I shall consider myself not shit on. (laughs) Um, Sorry, you cut that back in earlier, I guess. No, you're good. Um, But, you know, switching game styles from Alpha Strike to Classic, go back to that for a bit, like, or maybe even trying out the Destiny scene, um, or maybe just take a break from Tabletop, go into... Um, you know the the digital gaming of the aspect, or just a whole a whole break on the gaming experience itself. But just go back into reading books for a month, like a month timeout from the gaming scene, but still staying somewhat current with lore, or whatever. Like you're still enjoying the universe, um, in some way or as you know, shape or form. Uh, there's there's multiple ways to do it. Um, but yeah. Like I'm taking a break from the uh, after LVO the the Alpha Strike 350 the Wolfnet 350 tournament scene for a hot minute. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of large PV Alpha Strike games like 500 plus. Um, I think that's where Alpha Strike truly shines. Um, starting to throw in. Uh, I know me, me and Rick want to get some more people uh, to start buying some more aerospace fighters because it makes the game three dimensional. Uh, and it's just. I've got eight of them. Hit me up. Let's do it. Ayo. I want to do some air to air battles. <laughs> Absolutely. There we go. Um, you know, adding in that aerospace fighter aspect that not a lot of people do, um, it makes a flight three dimensional and it, it changes a lot of things real quick. Uh, your the normal tactics you've been playing with for the last year and a half, two years, you throw in some alpha, uh, aerospace fighters, well, you got a whole new game because now you got to look up, you know, um, mm-hmm. and really worry about covering your backfield and really focusing on your facing so that somebody somewhere will be able to hopefully shoot this aerospace fighter that is harassing the hell out of you. Um so yeah, huge fan of airspace fighters. Um, definitely try adding that in if you're if you're getting a little bored with the normal Alpha Strike. Because um, let's be honest, I think airspace fighters are easiest to employ in the Alpha Strike uh, system. Um, if if you've been doing the same thing for so long and it's kind of like uh, the second you start your game, you kind of just you know zone out, drone out, and do. Play, play the game you always have for the last year, year and a half, maybe it's time to add in some optional stuff or like the aerospace fighters or environmental effects. Like, ch- change it up. There's there's a lot of ways to do it to keep it interesting. Um, but yeah, those that's what I got for, for general burnout. You know, take that step back, maybe change it up a little bit, find a different opponent, whether that's online or locally or teach some, teach somebody new. Like Ben said, um, getting 
get tied in with your your local game store, uh, host beginner events, pull in new players. Because if you've only got one player in your area that you've been playing for so long, um, well, maybe it is time for an intro event at your local store to create new players to play with. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, anybody else got any other comments on on the burnout aspect of the game or yeah, just in general? One. I, w- I want to loop back around to some stuff Ben was saying. Uh, so I don't know if you want to cut this in later, earlier or not. But man, I can't I can't say how much I appreciate uh, Ben what you said about your statements about like how to be as a player and and do stuff. I I think you hit the nail on the head and gave me an epiphany on some of the stuff that I was going through. You know, I was. I was so worried on trying to avoid a negative play experience for myself, you know, on having like a list that could take all comers and not not be victim to some of the more crazy stuff, you know, and not really thinking as much about how do I make sure, you know, I can avoid a ne- negative play experience for someone else. And, you know, I, realizing that not everyone out there is, is going in with a big competitive mindset. I, I think that your your words on that were really, really good. Really, I really appreciate those a lot. On, on, and I think that's something to really keep in mind a lot. Really great. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know it's until you because I know you you had a lot of guys that you played in the tournament that were were really top notch guys. You know, um, and I had a good I had a good mix. I had some mix you, for sure. Yeah, you had a you had a mix, and it's just it it hit me when I went from playing Mario to playing Patrick, who just picked up the Alpha Strike box set two weeks before the tournament, and he's like. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Let's just make this a learning game, and and we'll we'll play it out and and see what happens. And it's just I had that thought playing him, going, you know, I can, I know there's things that I can do that to win the game, but I don't want to do that and ruin it for him, you know, and and turn him against what's going to happen. Not saying I'm the greatest player at all, one bit, but there's rules and and shit like that that a new player has no concept of yet you know and and not to say patrick was bad at all i mean he was a good solid solid alpha strike player you know uh just for learning the game but you know just trying not to make him go away with a bad impression of the tournament scene you know that's that's it's a hard hard line to to kind of come up against sometimes that's super great too because you want you have the veteran experience to where you can you know, you can hang with the guys that are really top much competitive guys looking for a competitive thing because there's nothing wrong with that being your kind of fun if you want to push it to the limit, you know. I mean, right. There, there can sometimes be something wrong depending on how you use it, maybe. But True. But True. also having the ability to flip that switch off, you know, and play some of those a little a little more of a fun introduction, make sure someone doesn't walk away. That's that's super powerful and super great. I think if we could have everyone in the community play like that, that'd be like super awesome. Have that be able to do both, you know. Right, right. All right. Well, I guess that pretty much wraps us up for the day. Um, moving on into shout outs. All right. So my shout out goes out to the guys at Wolfnet. Uh, thank you very much for putting on the LVO tournament. And yeah, other than, it was a great time. We had a great time and it was really great meeting everybody, especially the guys from uh, Charlie Company. Uh, overall, it was a great experience. And I'm looking forward to the next time I get to go out to a convention, uh, probably be next year, but you know, we'll see what happens. And my, my shout outs go out to the Wolfnet guys. Thank you very much for putting on an awesome event. Uh, Alex, what you got for, for shout outs? Uh, first of all, shout out to all y'all again for allowing me to join you and be on the podcast with you all. Uh, shout out for Ben for all the PPC drinks. Definitely can't keep up with Ben's 
<laughs> drink of the month with only PPCs. Whenever more than half my drinks grain alcohol, I think it's time for you to, to step back and wait for the next round to come out. <laughs> I already mentioned the taco trucks from the Charlie Company folks uh, that I played Chandler and Brett during the tournament and Jesse for the Pizza Palace buildings. And uh, my main shout out goes out to the WolfNet team for throwing LVO again. But most importantly, all the years of love, I'm sure of the countless discussions, possibly arguments, playtesting, lessons learned that have led to Ace Review being where it is. For all that we can talk about competitive scene and burnout and whatnot, it's, it's doing a really amazing job of taking a system that I believe never really had a competitive intention for it and making it something quite workable and a ton of fun for tournaments. So that is something that's really paid off over the last, I guess, four or more years for you, for you all. And there's a lot of heart, heartfelt appreciation from the community for that. Uh, I guess last shout-outs for the spider that's living in my mechs. I have uh, some spiders built a web between some of my mechs and their display area in my basement here. And there's actually a dead one behind us. I think it's the second inhabitor of the web that it spun. But yeah, so I got spiders in my mechs. That's my last shout-out. I'll keep that you up on the progress on their life. Time to put them on the field. Just mean, yeah, that's right. That just means you got to get them on a list and uh, start playing with them a little bit more. <laughs> no, I can't do it. It's protected environmental zone now. They're endangered species. Uh, you know, red tape and whatnot can't move them anymore and so when i came over was it it was probably about a year almost a little over a year ago now uh i think that was because you had that k2 that catapult k2 on the table uh was that the last time it was used (laughs) i think it's been out since then i'm not sure to be honest it could have been the last time hopefully not time to pull it back out all right uh well i guess that wraps us up for the day um thanks for joining us alex thanks for for coming on the show and sharing your experiences uh again congrats it was a pleasure thank you thank you yeah uh congrats on best painted it was well earned and deserved um until next time thanks everybody last call last call (laughs) thanks for joining us today in the valhalla club Special thanks to our sponsor, Aries Games and Miniatures. Aries is the premier online retailer for all your Battletech needs. You can contact us at the Valhalla Club at Outlook.com. If you are in Colorado, please join your local community group on Facebook and Discord. If you are able to help support your local Colorado Battletech community, subscribe on Patreon to Colorado Battletech. This Patreon account is used to supply prize support for local events and assist in venue costs. Links for the Valhalla Club Discord, the Colorado Battletech Patreon, and Facebook group are in the show notes. Until next time, mech fans. And somebody give Wolfnet shit for the fact that we're getting out two episodes before they even get out one. Yeah, that's part of the course. I'll just I'll just cut that in, you know. <laughs> <laughs>